Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I'm your host, Eric Acker. I'm going solo a little bit tonight. Karen is having some friends over, and I figured I'd just let her have the ladies' night to herself, and I would just go ahead and do the podcast myself today. Um... So, I'm, I guess I really want to start off this week because uh, last week I kind of, I, I think uh, if anyone listened to last week, um, I was definitely bothered. I made me a little upset last week. I, I had come off of uh, about a week, week and a half of uh, my neurology rotation, and honestly, it just wasn't going well. It, it was... Um, it was very frustrating. I felt like I was being a little bit marginal, uh, just kind of picked on a, l- a little bit, and then um, just it just wasn't wasn't very going very well. I was trying very hard, and I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't learning anything. It was just very frustrating. Um, I want to. I definitely spent a little bit of time after recording that podcast, and I, this was one of the very few episodes I've I've recorded that I've actually considered whether or not I should publish it or not because I definitely came off a little bit stronger, a little bit more opinionated, kind of flying a little bit, uh, shooting more from the hip on that particular podcast than I would normally, and I and I try to keep most of these a little bit more positive because. Um, you know, medical school is hard enough as it is. You don't, I don't need people to feel like they are dreading a certain rotation or dreading uh, the future uh, or something in medicine because I think a lot of things in medicine are very exciting. I love learning, so this is, um, you know, lots of great opportunities in medicine to learn, and I don't want to discourage anyone in any way, but I, I was definitely feeling a little bit um, on a low point last week, and I definitely wanted to revisit that. I thought, thought a lot about it. Um, I didn't curse, so I, I suppose that was a plus. So I, I, kept, I decided to keep the podcast. I, th- I thought I kept everything as best as I could, but uh, I wanted to at least touch back a little bit on it. Um, what I've reflected, how the week has changed, uh, what I did with some of my negative energy there, and uh, how it's been going so far. So um, I, I think the biggest takeaway uh, is initially, you know, I, I was feeling just terrible about the rotation. It just was not going well. I, I have my, my friend Chris is with me on this particular rotation, and he uh, and I carpool, and so we would talk on the way to and from the rotation, and I'm sure uh, I did not do... I, I'm sure I came off even worse than you, what you heard on the podcast. I think I had a much stronger opinions in the car ride to and from. Um, definitely more upset and... And again, I'm a bit of an external processor, but I didn't like how I felt. I didn't like feeling very frustrated. I didn't like feeling like I, um, I didn't like the idea that I was like possibly feeling like I was a victim of some kind. Like I thought that I, maybe my preceptor was um, taking out a little bit of um, uh, maybe his problems or his. Uh, I, I was perceiving him to be a little bit more directed. Uh, negatively towards me and so I, I do want to clarify that in a little bit but I didn't like that basically I felt like I I didn't have any control over the situation or I didn't have any and 
I really thought about it. I went back the next day and I really just decided like, you know, this is what I got to do. I got to, I got to find a way to deal with how this preceptor interacts with me, interact a little bit better. We don't have to be best friends. We don't have to be buddies or anything like that. Um, I, he's got a lot to learn. I, I, I don't ever want to insinuate that this guy is dumb or anything like that. No, he's incredibly smart and I have a lot to learn from him, but it's hard to learn and have learning opportunities if you're feeling like you're being attacked or you just feel like the situation isn't working. And that, that's, again, it's not to say that that was the intention of my preceptor. So I don't really want to put that out there and say this preceptor is out there just attacking people. Uh, I just, and I'll, I'll get more into that in a minute. Um, but I wanted to approach you know, the rest of the week and this week on a different foot. So I just kind of employed more of a, I'll pay attention. I'll try to offer answers as best as I can. As soon as I feel like I'm getting shut down, as soon as I feel like anything I say is just met with complete ne- negativity or something that is maybe baiting me, feels like it feels like I'm being baited into an argument or a debate or to say something that I shouldn't be saying or um, just really like to take a few steps backwards and just say less. <laughs> I really honestly just be less aggressive in the rotation if I felt like maybe the question I didn't have a good answer for and I was kind of being baited into um, maybe saying something that uh, there was like a no-win situation um, if that's how I felt I would just clam up and just go nope I'm not going to say anything because I don't feel like I would say anything constructive and that wouldn't benefit the rest of the students that wouldn't benefit me if I feel like I'm being attacked again so just let's let the situation move past <laughs> and let someone else answer the question listen, learn, and let the situation move on, and then go to the next situation, go to the next interaction, um, and maybe be on a better footing that time. And just, it's also in my mind, is like not providing fuel to any fire. Uh, and even, that, if, even if that fire is like within myself, like not providing more opportunities for myself to be more aggravated because of how the interaction went, didn't, it didn't go the way I wanted to, um, just to kind of step away from those interactions. Uh, and that isn't that isn't to say like I completely disengaged from the rotation. I would completely I didn't completely stop talking. I didn't you know stop looking up stuff. I didn't stop trying to answer questions. It was just if I felt like the situation didn't like offer any benefit. Like if I felt like my answer was probably going to be insufficient, imprecise, and I felt like I was being kind of goaded into making a statement that I can just shut up, take a step back and just kind of, and take a joke, you know, every now and then you got to take a joke. Um, <laughs> you, you, you're you going to get uh, a joke pointed at you a little bit, a little bit more sharper than you expected. And you just got to let it roll off your shoulder. So that's what I kind of employed. And um, honestly, I feel like it, it made a huge difference on this particular rotation. Um, I do want to go into at least the preceptor and whatnot. He, again, super smart guy, very friendly. He wants to teach. He wants to be a teacher. He wants to um, help medical students. Um, so all that, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have not a personal friend of his. <laughs> I just have my experience and interaction. Um, but what I can say is I feel like he means very well generally. I feel like he probably means more to joke and let things roll off your shoulders. But sometimes when a joke is played and played and played, it does um, become less of a joke, but that's maybe just a 
you know, every comic has their bad landing, their bad jokes, you know? So I, I don't really, I'm, I'm really trying to avoid trashing a preceptor because I, you know, I just spent the last podcast talking about how us fellow students shouldn't trash our school. And, you know, this preceptor is technically, I would say he's getting paid by the school. So he's in some way, he is part of the school. So I definitely don't want to say he's a bad preceptor. I definitely don't want to say he does anything malicious. Um, uh, I just don't think, you know, maybe our personalities don't gel as well as I've had with other preceptors or we just butt heads, you know, we're more likely to butt heads than not. Um, but I will say the, <laughs> the after last week, after stepping back and making a few adjustments in how I approached the rotation, um, either he noticed that I was a little annoyed on a few days and decided he was going to back off of me a little bit. Or maybe there was a change in how our relationship was or just how, like, he knew me a little bit more. So, and I knew him a little bit more. So, I don't know. We got a little bit more comfortable with each other. Not terribly comfortable. Like I said uh, from the last podcast, like, maybe there's certain topics you just don't discuss on a rotation. Uh, I think that still holds true. But I, I, I feel like this last week has been actually relatively enjoyable. Is it like perfect? Is this is this the style of learning I I, I would prefer? No, not really. Uh, I don't. Um, there are, there are times when he'll tell me I'm wrong, and then we would look it up, and it's like well, I'm not actually wrong. Um, but you know, it is. You know, it is what it is. And uh, there's a lot of things I, I am learning on this rotation. Um, I mean, right there, I'm learning a lot to be more precise with my language and trying to be a little bit more precise when I talk about medical things, because he, he wants to be very precise. And that's, I think, fine. And when you're talking to patients, it's good to be precise. Uh, so that's something I probably should <laughs> learn as well. So um, I did want to focus a little bit on some of the other things I, I was learning in this rotation, because neurology is uh, not a strong point in my uh, medical school education, has not been my strongest subject. And uh, you know, and honestly, this is fourth year, and I don't have—I have no, uh, no desire to be a neurologist. I have no desire to go and do neurology. So, um, this is probably my one and only shot at doing neurology, unless I do a, an elective or something like that in my residency. I suppose um, it's this is just like great information. This is kind of gravy to know what when you if you if I send a patient to a neurologist what the neurologist might be doing and what the what what kind of services the patient uh, is going to be offered at a neurologist's office and uh, in these in these service areas um, but one of the bigger things I, I kind of learned and it's, it's really it's a neat concept and I hope I again I this is back to precise language I hope I do a, a decent justice to this topic but um, we've been talking a lot about um, synuclepathies. Uh, and synuclepathies is not a topic that we are taught specifically in medical school. And that's partly because it's a it's a new concept that's emerged in the last like 18 months. I don't know a lot about it. I haven't done the background research on it, like the basic research on this topic. So what I'm basically just going to relay is what I've been taught in my rotation. But I, I think it's interesting. It does kind of make sense. And I'm looking forward to just kind of seeing how it goes in the future and what, what they might mean for our treatment of uh, older patients with uh, this type of dementia. Um, so, so uh, spoiled about this. So synuclepathy is a, a dementia-like, it's basically an umbrella 
uh, disease. So you're, I'm trying to think of what's a, a, another disease that kind of has an umbrella. I, um, for worse, eh, I would say probably loose analogy like autism. There's like a spectrum of autism. Um, you know, high functioning, low functioning and whatnot. There's a, a kind of a spectrum there. So synuclearopathy is not, it's not a one-to-one, you know, it's not uh, inexacto to um, autism, but it's, so synuclearopathies are like Parkinson's disease and Lewy body dementia. Uh, so those are diseases that have um, what basically is found inside the neurons. It's typically considered a central nervous system disease, um, but it's the alpha subnuclein protein that is found in the neurons, in the intraneuron. Um, so within the, the neuron, <laughs> you have this protein. And it, uh, in like Lewy body dementia, you have obviously memory issues and possibly hallucinations and other, and it's, you know, obviously these are all progressive Um and of course, Parkinson's, we all think of Parkinson's as the guy who has a resting tremor uh, and maybe a, a diff, unsteady gait, uh, and a nausea, and a few other things, a few other symptoms. And of course, when you, you kind of go to, <laughs> and this is again, a lot of this stuff is what I, I learned on this rotation or I relearned on this rotation in some way. So uh, we were asked like, oh, where do you, where is the disease pathology of Parkinson's disease? And uh, I think most students would point to the basal ganglia, uh, the substantia nigra for uh, dopamine, uh, dopaminergic um, neurons. And nucleus, you know, producing dopaminergic uh, neurons um, are damaged, and that causes movement issues in the ba- from the basal ganglia. Again, imprecise information, <laughs> imprecise language, but you, I think, you get the idea. Um, so, what does that have to do with Lewy body dementia? Besides, this alpha subnuclein protein uh, is shared between the two of them, and there's a few others. Um, I'm not going to name just because I don't have them in front of me and I'm not going to guess at it. Uh, <laughs> a few others, but uh, essentially the the th- hypothesis that's been put for synuclearopathies is that this alpha subnuclein protein is found uh, in these neurons and it causes the neuron dysfunction and uh, death of neurons and other issues. Uh, so if the sub- alpha subnuclein proteins deposit in the substantia nigra uh, neurons, you get uh, more of a Parkinsonian-like, uh, or a basal ganglia, I guess I should say, more. that's more of a general uh, term, but you, should, you will get more of a Parkinsonian-like features for the synuclearopathy. You will have a Parkinson's flavor of synuclearopathy. If you have one that deposits in, let's say, the temporal lobe or something, you know, other parts of the brain, you're going to end up with a Lewy body dementia. Um, so that's essentially what a synuclearopathy is. It's just kind of this umbrella uh, category that has like Parkinson's within it and um, Lewy body dementia and a few others. And the essential theory is is that, that wherever this alpha subnuclear uh, protein deposits, that's where you start seeing 
problems. And of course, this is like a, a, a chronic issue over time. You don't just get all of a sudden nucleolin proteins one day and you start having Parkinson's the next. It's uh, as all these diseases are, they are progressive. Um, so that's the uh, general theory. What was kind of also interesting about this is that they, um, they test for the alpha subnucleolin proteins, not from a brain biopsy, um, and you don't have to do an MRI to confirm like where maybe there's plaques or something. You don't really see that, or you don't do you don't have to do like a oh gosh a, a DAT scan or a DAT scan. I think uh, it's the dopamine again precise language here. <laughs> it's the it's the scan that looks for the uh, the dopamine in the brain. Um, in my radiology rotation, I feel like that was so long ago, but you can apparently do a skin biopsy and then within the skin you tip you have these nerve cells uh the, these ner uh, nerves in your skin and you can do the biopsy do a stain and then you can come up with um whether or not there's alpha subnucleolin in the nerves of your skin um and the reason why that's particularly interesting <laughs> and this is again taught to me on this rotation is that well parkinson's has been considered a central nervous system disease and uh Lewy body dementia is considered a central nervous system disease so uh for those who may not be aware it's a central nervous system is generally considered uh for layman's term the brain and the brain stem and maybe the spinal cord uh so um that's where you would typically find uh lesions or uh issue you know where these plaques should be present but well if it's in the skin that's a peripheral nerve system so well, why wouldn't alpha subnucleolin proteins be in the peripheral? Uh, and what could that mean? If if it's in the peripheral, could that mean possible peripheral neuropathies of some kind or uh, neuropathic pain that could be explained by alpha subnucleolin? Who knows? That's I think that's more of emerging information and possible information that will come out in the future if this has any legs. So that's, a, that's an interesting thing that's kind of come out of that. I think he, uh, my preceptor was talking about the history of this development uh, kind of culminating with uh, papers from uh, 18 months ago, which I think coined the term syn synucleopathies. Uh, it's essentially, they did some studies looking, I think it was Australia, doing biopsies. Uh, every time someone has a surgery, they keep a little bit of tissue in a tissue bank. And some researcher apparently decided to start looking around in the appendixes of patients who have Parkinson's disease. And they're like, hey, well, there you go. I got alpha subnucleolin proteins in patients who had Parkinson's disease in their appendix. Uh, it's kind of a strange uh, correlation there, I suppose. And then uh, I think they started doing other looks at like, okay, what about the gastrointestinal, the rest of the gastrointestinal system? Okay, well, you can find subnucleolin. Uh, alpha subnucleolin proteins in the GI tract elsewhere besides the appendix. And then they started looking elsewhere and they found it in the skin. And so that's why now this test has been developed. Um, again, you, just because you're positive for alpha subnucleolin protein doesn't mean you have Parkinsonian features or you will have Lewy body dementia. There is, I think, the hypothesis is that you may very much develop that in the future. Uh, it could be 30 years down the road. And as of all progressive diseases, disease progression is uh, relatively different from person to person. Um, 
So I, it's in this is a, it's an interesting hypothesis. I haven't done the you know the due diligence to look through the research papers and really see if this is you know going to have a whole lot of legs my preceptor apparently believes it has legs he's even made the statement that he's stopped he's essentially stopped diagnosing patients with Lewy body dementia or parkinson's disease and he just puts it as synuclopathy um with parkinsonian features or something like that. So that's a again very interesting emerging uh, thing. And of course, uh, internal medicine we generally see we'll see a lot of older patients, and so we're going to have probably lots of opportunities to um, see patients in different levels of dementia and possible synuclopathy. So this is an emerging field that might have a lot more research to it. This is something to keep an eye on. Uh, other things that. Um, I've been learning this rotation, uh, concussions, concussions. There's so many patients we see who've had concussions uh, from car accidents to things falling off roofs and hitting them on the head. Uh, and then so we've been learning a lot about how to diagnose a concussion, uh, when our patients typically have the most symptoms and how to treat, um, what to, what kind of questions to ask? You know, a lot of we do have a few times we will interview patients, uh, especially new patients, and have a chance to ask those sort of questions as as the medical students, and then go back and present the patient case to our preceptor. And so, concussions are a big one. Uh, <laughs> and what's the difference between a concussion and uh, like a stroke? You know, a concussion is technically a traumatic brain injury. Um, but you know what's the difference between that and a stroke? What is it, you know what do you what what will you see on CT scans? Those sort of things. Um, so that's been p pretty interesting. There's the Bernoulli's principle, which is also fascinating. So one of those things that you hear about it, you kind of learn it as um, oh gosh in your preclinical years, you kind of learn Bernoulli's principle just as like this is information. Uh, so the primary thing you hear is like. Uh, uh, coronary artery disease. 70% um, uh, stenosis of any of the coronary arteries will typically present with symptoms uh, of coronary artery disease. So you, you'll start having angina of some kind. Uh, you could very much have angina after uh, the, a plaque has occluded 70% of the lumen of a coronary artery. Well, why is that? So, because, <laughs> uh, and that was one of those things. That it's, it was very kind of a frustrating process when we were going over this with our preceptor because you're kind of, you feel like you know a lot of information, you know a lot of the right facts, but then you're now having to try to piece everything together and why does that make sense? So, we know, okay, if you include half the lumen of an artery, uh, what happens? So does the, the blood flow on the other end of the artery, does that slow down or does it speed up or does it say the same? Well, um, it goes faster. So your, your blood flow is moving through the artery, hits um, some kind of occlusion that is narrowing the lumen, and then the blood flow will go faster uh, through that narrowing. It's kind of like a you think of a river, it goes narrow and you got rapids. Uh, I think that's probably the closest thing I could probably describe that with. But what does that, you know, does that hold true through uh, as that lumen gets more narrow and narrower until, you know, it's, you know, 100% included. So at 99% included, uh, that 1% opening is the flow going through it so fast 
that it's making up for, you know, the, all the blockage. Like basically the flow on the other side is just very fast, but so your net overall blood movement is the same. Uh, and that's obviously not accurate. And you would think, okay, 99% included, no way. Uh, and that's true. And in neurology, this, I know this is, we're talking a little bit about coronary artery disease. That's the most popular one. It's the one that's kind of tested heavily uh, as far as like step one. Um, I don't remember step two. I don't really remember step one really that much. But I remember step one. And he's talked a little bit about the, the occlusions. Um, and someone will have to let me know about that. Uh, so uh, the you know, like uh, carotid arteries, um, vertebral arteries, anything that um, you know, is supplying blood to the, either the anterior brain or the posterior brain, uh, respectively, mm-hmm can have occlusions and then of course what what level of occlusion do we start to worry about adequate blood flow to the brain adequate adequate supply of oxygen and nutrients to the brain and um, that's where Bernoulli's principle comes in it basically says there's compensated forces you know as the lumen gets more narrow narrow narrower 50 percent 60 percent and then at 70 percent that's when you start having this drop off this is where the flow just can't go through and i think the example we were kind of using it's um not a perfect example again not in exact in, in exacto <laughs> well like for example um he was using the example of you have a your shower drain and you have hair that's clogging up the drain and as more and more hair goes into the drain and clogs it up, your shower typically can still drain. It still drains, drains, drains. And at some point, it's not fully occluded, but now the water's not draining. It's not draining very fast. It's going a lot slower. And now you're having some backup. You're now standing in a few inches of water. What 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 is that percentage of blockage? And of course, it's probably a little bit different just based on the density of water compared to blood. But uh, in in the in the body, essentially, it's seventy percent. So seventy percent stenosis in the coronary arteries. You might want to consider doing stents, uh, catheter calf procedures, and stuff like that. Seventy percent stenosis in the carotid arteries. Go ahead and start talking to. A uh, vascular doctor or whoever to consider doing uh, an an entero- enterotomy enterotomy of the carotid arteries, and then of course you can do that with lower extremities. So that's uh, essentially what we're kind of learning. So, and then of course we learn other random things like feeder cows. What is, what is a feeder cow compared to? Uh, I, I'm not a I'm not a, a rural person, but we apparently had this conversation that there are feeder cows and then there are non-feeder cows i can't remember the other name for them but it's essentially like farmers will have a contract for 100 cows that they have to provide to a butcher or to a company for butchers and so they basically just like fill them up with food and they're paid by the pound or something like that and so these cows are they don't really go out in the pasture and mill around they just sit and eat and they're pretty unhealthy. Then, of course, you have the other cows that are extra just in case one of the feeder cows dies. <laughs> and those are the, the lean ones of grazing around and, and on the, uh, out in the fields. And those are the really healthy ones. And then, uh, apparently on some, some of the private brochures, you could ask for a non-feeder cow. I, I don't know. It was really an interesting conversation. Uh, but we get off tra- topic every now and then. So that it just happens. Um, anyway, 
that's a lot of rambling for me to basically say I'm learning just tons on this rotation. It is a great opportunity. Um, and again, maybe not my favorite learning style, maybe not my absolute favorite, favorite attending, but I taking a few steps back, taking a different approach to how I am behaving on the rotation and how I allow things to affect me. I can, I can I can enjoy the rotation for what it is, and I can find a different way to learn and interact and uh, be a good student. Because again, and again, at the end of the day, I want to pass this rotation. There's you know, failing a uh, an elective in your fourth year. This is a terrible, terrible thing. So I, not that I'm afraid of doing that. Just like, but I definitely felt like after uh, last week. When I was just so frustrated that, like, I I just felt like if I, if I just have days and days like that, I'm just a week. You know, like the week one was repeated for three more weeks. It's gonna be rough. I, I don't know how the precept is gonna look at me and go. Yeah, I feel like I really think you. I like you, and you should get a pass or whatnot. I don't know. I, I don't want to presume anything, but I was like, it wasn't going to go well unless I changed a little bit of my attitude. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, now, I did talk a little bit last week about how you as a student interact with preceptors and like what you can say about your school, your institution, and how that can be very frustrating. I don't really want to take any of that back. I still hold that. That's actually pretty accurate. Like, there's always problems. There's always things that you feel like uh, can be improved upon, whether that's your job, whether that's in school. There's always something that can be improved upon. Uh, there's always something that just doesn't rub you the right way. It's not, you know, we're all human. We're not functioning. We're not robots. Um, and humans don't tend to want to be in robotic systems either. So, like, everyone's going to kind of chafe against a system in some way or another. Um, so, I recognize that there are legitimate complaints, so there's illegitimate complaints, there's complaints. And my basic point last week, and I think that was pretty clear, was keep those in-house. Keep those within your peers, because if you go to a preceptor and just vent all your frustrations, and that preceptor has an opinion on your school already, you can make it worse down the road, or the preceptor might go, I don't want to teach you guys anymore. Um, And that's just not fair to fellow students coming behind you. That's not fair uh, for you. And also it's like, also you got to consider medical and care. I think Karen said this last week where the medical community is a small community and people talk and your preceptor and a lot of our preceptors have still connections to the old programs, the old residencies. And so you really don't want your preceptor to be like, Oh, Hey, my you know buddy, Phil. Um, yeah, I, I, teach all these these school kids from this school and they're terrible this school is awful like you don't want that to be the reputation that your school gets and so and just you know try to keep things in the house try to work to change things for the better obviously if you can um but definitely don't feel fire <laughs> that could be harmful to students behind you um so that's what i'll say on that <laughs> um I, I still have, let's see, this week and next week for my neurology rotation. And, you know, I'm learning a lot. I feel like we have a little bit more, a better rapport. And so I'm kind of looking forward to just kind of finishing off the week and a half 
Uh, I think we're going to get a pass. I don't think there's anything to sweat about this. And then we'll move on to our next rotation, which I think for me is uh, internal medicine. Uh, I'll be going back to internal medicine for uh, another three weeks before I do emergency medicine. Uh, let's see, other things that have come up in the last week. Um, I did mention a little side project I was doing. I was taking a HomePod and fixing it because I'm poor and I can't afford new things that I like. Uh, I, I, I like a, I like a lot of Apple products. I'm not sure if anyone knows. If anyone knows me, they don't know that I like my Apple products. Um, and so the HomePod was one that I liked and I really wanted to get. And I really wanted like the nice quality speakers. And so I couldn't afford to buy one brand new and I couldn't afford to buy one um, working used so I bought one that was broken and then I <laughs> went and bought a part and I did follow a YouTube video I followed uh, instructions I, I can do teardowns and I feel like it's actually not that complicated I think most people could probably do it if they put their mind to it so I don't think there's anything special but I was able to find the diode that was defective I used my multimeter confirmed it was defective I used my um, reflow heat gun uh, up to 500 degrees Celsius, got that part off the circuit break, uh, circuit board, uh, replaced it with a, a component, a replacement component, put it back on, put it all back together, works perfectly. So, you know, cheap, buying something on the cheap that's broken, <laughs> manageable broken, and then fixing it was awesome. It, uh, there's a, it's like a great feeling when you, you put it back together and you turn it on and you're just like, oh man, it works. So I, I love that feeling. Um, and so I'm glad that it works. Uh, but it did give me the idea because I did buy five diodes because I they were like a dollar a piece. And I thought to myself, is I, I don't know how to do the reflow soldering and there's a good chance I'm going to break something. <laughs> and so if I have a replacement, a few replacement diodes, then I can, I won't have to wait longer to fix my problems. But I didn't end up needing the other four, and it kind of gave me the idea, like, well, the, the teardown um, wasn't the easiest teardown. It wasn't as easy as replacing the screen on a, on a cell phone, but, like, it wasn't the hardest teardown either. Like, I've had harder uh, in some cases, and... Uh, you just have to be careful. You have to kind of be slow and methodical through some of it. And it's like, well, if this is the common problem, <laughs> why can't I just buy another one and fix it and then sell it? And so that's what Karen has given me permission to do. Like, don't spend too much money, but you can buy another broken one, uh, tear it down, find the problem, fix it, and put it back together. Uh, mind you, there are a few other issues with uh, the home pods than just the broken diodes. There, there could be subwoofers that are blown out or logic boards that are broken, and I cannot fix those. And the videos I've found, uh, nobody has seemed to have a good solution for those about replacing the actual logic board or subwoofer, and that involves uh, another broken home pod. <laughs> so I don't have a stash of home pods to do that. So I'm trying to be very methodical and picking ones that just won't turn on. And that's usually the diode. So that's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to buy, I think I just bought my first one off eBay and I'm just gonna go ahead and fix that one up again and turn around and sell it. Uh, it's kind of a nice way to make, it's not a lot of money. <laughs> Let's be honest, I'm not making tons of money. Um, but it's a nice way that it kind of satisfies a little itch inside of my head to fix something. And um, and then I can do it and turn around and actually make money off off of it and Karen won't be too mad at me about that so yay there's a, a little project th uh, there 
Um, and then other things that came on this week is I, I well, I'm not really remembering if I talked about this on the podcast. Um, so I, I have sleep apnea and uh, it's something that I think we suspected for a long time. I snore. Uh, I need to work out. I need to lose weight. Uh, <laughs> all these things are true. And I was starting to have issues, and I don't know if any of this came across to anyone, but when I was in Northeast Georgia doing my away rotation, I was falling asleep all the time, whether I was standing up on rounds. If we, you know, we stood in one spot for too long on rounds, I would start drifting off and nodding off, which is crazy when you feel like you're standing, but you your your head and mind is shutting down, and you have to catch yourself real quick before you like collapse to the ground or fall somewhere, and it's a little embarrassing. And then I was falling, I was like having a really hard time staying awake, driving in and out to and from the rotation. I just thought, oh man, I'm just working really hard, and I'm just really tired. But it was like, you know, I would have like eight hours of sleep and I would still have this issue. And I was like, I don't understand. I'm just, I'm just dying left and right. Like I, I'm pounding energy drinks. I'm, you know, two, three, four cups of coffee a day just to try to get through the day. Uh, you know, I get home, I'm exhausted. I still have to take a nap. Like, I feel like I'm a, I'm a very old man. <laughs> and then it's like, then it kind of hit me. It's like, I, I probably have sleep apnea. Um, I, I, yeah, I remembering going back to my rotation with um, the pulmonologist. Like, yeah, I, a lot of the symptoms of all the patients that he treated for sleep apnea were the same ones that I had. So I finally bit the bullet, saw my primary care doctor, did the sleep study. Uh, it was at home, so it was a little bit more convenient. Saw a sleep uh, specialist. They ordered a CPAP, and that's what we've been starting this. We, we finally started using the CPAP. I... Oh, who wants to be hooked up to a machine? Uh, I mean, I, I would complain and be like, oh, man, the machine's terrible. Because it, it is. Uh, it's inconvenient. It is. Uh, it's uncomfortable. It is a little bit. Like, all these things are true. Like, in, I imagine any normal, healthy person's like, oh, man, you know, would you like to wear a face mask and something that straps on your face and head and... You know, you can't just crawl on the bed and just go to sleep like normal. Like you have this thing you stick to your head and then like over the course of the night, more and more pressure gets built up to try to keep your airway open. And if you happen to wake up in the middle of the night, you feel like you're, you stuck your head out of a, a car driving down the freeway. Like all these things are <laughs> inconvenient. Um, but my goodness what a difference what a, it's actually if you do have sleep apnea and you're afraid of this machine all i will say is like maybe not like an astounding difference if you like you feel like you know are you going to feel a thousand times more energetic after two days of using it eh, i don't know um, but are you going to get through an entire day and not feel like you needed to take a nap or that you were falling asleep while you were driving or that you need you know, 10 cups of coffee to get through the day. Yeah. And that, that's the difference. Like I, I've gone, you know, I think on three days, I have my issues. I'm still struggling to kind of get used to this CPAP machine, but a million times better. Um, um, getting through the day, uh, not feeling like I'm, I'm dying. And of course, if I get like four hours of sleep at night, I'm still feeling tired in the next morning. But, um, even a machine running like six hours, uh, on the machine at night, like I feel so much better the next day, like able to able to really function, not immediately waking up and being like I'm exhausted and then passing out on the couch. So 
much. <laughs> uh, if, if you have sleep apnea, if you suspect you have, I, I would definitely recommend just getting it checked out. Again, nobody likes to do it. I know I need to lose weight. And I feel like if I lost a ton of weight and worked out more and got you know a, bit, a little bit healthier, I would probably maybe not need the CPAP. Who knows? But uh, for right now, like being able to function, wonderful. <laughs> um, so other... I think that's that's about all for the week, really. Um, only thing, only thing that kind of came to mind today is just like sharing a like kind of a fun family moment. Like this morning, I was leaving to go into the rotation, and my oldest son uh, declared that he wanted to build a robot, and he wanted the robot to help do cleaning, uh, and which is kind of funny. And it's like, well, obviously, yeah, of course you do. Like you don't want to pick up your toys. Like I get it. Like. A robot to do all that sounds fantastic. But then I thought about it a little bit. Like, that's kind of like me. Like, and looking around the house, like, I have this Roomba that does the vacuuming. I just have to push a button on my phone and it, you know, sends it out <laughs> and vacuums the floor. Not not the greatest vacuum, but it does a, a decent job. Then I have, like, what I call the mop bot. Uh, and it basically sprays a liquid soap and has, like, a, a, a head that with like a sponge, basically a sponge head that it vibrates and it will drive in grid-like patterns for your floor and mop your floor. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I mean, I definitely have my uh, my level of like robots doing my work for me, so I, I can definitely relate to my son in this way. But it was fun. He he ended up drawing like a few pictures of like different robots that he wanted to build, and they're not like intricate detail, but it was kind of funny to see like little robots and like. Like it, there were experimental robots that he was drawing that he like drew an X <laughs> next to. Like, no, that was that's not good. That's no good. And then like one where uh, he drew, and obviously he was pretty happy with. He put a check mark next to. And anyway, it's just kind of funny. It's it's um, family life and uh, parenthood is just really kind of funny. Um, and you can see a lot of times you see a lot of yourself and your kids as well. But uh, anyway, I. I hope this uh, podcast was a bit more upbeat and a little bit more helpful um, than last week. And again, last week was one of the very few I've really hemmed and hawed with myself and whether or not I should publish it uh, just because of how negative I felt like I was being. But I hope you guys have a great week and I'll probably bring Karen on next. (laughs) I'll bring Karen back on. Uh, She's my better half. Uh, And... uh, bring her on back next week and we'll be finishing up neurology and starting internal medicine next week so if you do like the podcast you can read us on itunes or apple podcast i believe amazon podcast also has a rating system um if you have any questions uh, medfamilymd is uh the instagram account that karen runs for the podcast and you can ask questions she sends them on to me and i'll answer them or she'll answer them whoever will answer them uh yeah subscribe to the podcast if you like uh, again med family on any of the major streaming sites uh yeah you guys have a great week and we will talk to you next week